0: know that anyone in this room, including myself, really understand the importance of this morning's sermon and lesson, especially for our young people and our single. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be attentive, help us to minimize all distractions. Lord, help us to be able to hear from your word and learn from your word and have receptive hearts to be able to understand what the Bible is teaching us. Lord, I pray that you would use me, that your Holy Spirit would come upon me, that you would allow me to be able to minister to your people this morning. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in first Corinthians chapter 6 and like we've been talking about we're continuing our series through uh, functional family and uh, if you remember we started this series five weeks ago the first sermon we preached uh, a sermon entitled an epidemic of dysfunction and we talked about just the the fact that today there is an attack by Satan and the world on the family unit and there are dysfunctional families because of the fact that uh, we just aren't following the guidelines that God has set in regard. To The family, the second sermon was about, if you remember, it was entitled, The Heart of the Matter. And we talked about, uh, we talked to parents in regards to keeping their children's heart, and spouses to keeping each other's heart, and not allowing those hearts to drift. And we learned about Absalom, how he stole the hearts of the people from King David. In the uh, sermon number three, we talked about a satisfied marriage, and how there are things that a husband owes his wife, and things that a wife owes her husband. And how, uh, and when we provide those for each other, we are able to engage in a marriage where we We are satisfied and made whole and complete. Last week we uh, had a sermon entitled, Parenting Functional Children, and we talked about parenting. And if you remember the four things that you need to give, that your children need from you as parents, they need direction and discipline and discipleship and devotion, and we talked about those things. This morning's uh, sermon is entitled, Advice for Singles. Advice for singles. Now, I already told you, next week we're going to be talking to the children of all ages. Young children, uh, teenagers, you know, all all the kids. Uh, So make sure you're here. Make sure you bring your kids next week. Uh, This morning, we're going to be talking to singles. And I, I want to explain to you who this sermon is for. Obviously, it's for singles those who are of the age uh, of, of dating or being married, if, if you are old enough to get married and you are not married, this sermon is for you this morning, okay? But it's not just for the singles. It's also for the young people and even uh, the, the kids. Uh, you know, maybe they're not of dating age, but eventually they're going to be of dating age. And these principles that we're going to talk about this morning would be good for those kids, especially you younger teenagers or you almost teenagers. It would be good for you to listen right now And and even take some notes. And these are things that are going to help guide you once you are at the age and mature enough to be able to start dating. This sermon is for parents. If you have a child in your home that is either dating or not of dating age, you need this sermon. You need to write notes. Your job is to come alongside your uh, children that are going to be of dating age and help guide them through that time as they seek uh, a spouse. A a person choosing a spouse Outside of salvation Is probably the most important decision They're going to make in their life And you parents need to be prepared To be able to guide your children Too many parents today think Oh once my kids are dating That's up to them It's their choice No it is your job Remember we talked about last week You are to direct that child It is your job Not to choose a mate for them but to help guide them through that uh, uh, time of dating and, and and falling in love and all those things and getting married, so that you can help them have the most uh, effective and strong marriage that they can possibly have. This sermon is for grandparents who can help their adult children. You say, "Well, my children are already grown and married, you know," but you can help your adult children who are going to be guiding your grandchildren through dating, and you can help them not make the mistakes that you made with your children. <laughs> so you need these sermons. So you take these. This will be. I'm going to give you a lot of information this morning, Uh, I I just, honestly, there's enough information here to preach a whole series just for the singles, but I'm not going to do that, but um, take notes and and, and listen up, and I think this is going to help you. Now let me talk to the singles for a second, again, I'm talking to those of you that are at the age of being able to date, but not yet married, every single, here's what I know about you, every single that is dating is looking for that Mr. or Mrs. Wright. right, Everyone who's of that age that is not married is constantly, you know, subconsciously looking for Mr. Wright or looking for Mrs. Wright or hoping that you run into that individual. And uh, the question that I want to ask you and the question that a lot of people who are dating don't think about till it's much too late is when you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Will they be looking for you? See, you're worried and concerned about finding that Mr. Ryder, that Mrs. Ryder, that perfect individual that you're going to fall in love with and be swept off your feet and, and get married. But here's the question. While you're busy looking for them, the question that I have for you is, when you find them, will they be looking for you? And here's the the real question. I, and I guess it's more of a statement. I, I, I want to encourage you this morning. And I want to give you some things at. I want you to work at becoming the person who the person you are looking for is looking for. Do you understand what I just said? I want you to work on yourself. You say, I, I, I'm, I'm worried about finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Yeah, but you, what you should be worried about is that when you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, you are the person that they are looking for. The person that you are looking for, make sure you become the person that they are looking for. Make sure that you're the Mr. Right for the Mrs. Right looking for you. Does that make sense? Now I want to try to help you with that. I want to give you uh, three things this morning in regards to becoming the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. Number one, for those of you taking notes this morning, I want you to understand before you get married in this time of being single, something you ought to be trying to do is to minimize the baggage. Minimize the baggage. Every single person that gets married comes into a union with their own set of baggage. And you know what I mean by that. Your issues that you carry into uh, a marriage. I, I, someone said this, there are no such thing as married or marriage problems. There are people with problems that get married. And, uh, you know, marriage problems aren't difficult. Marriage problems are, are, are easy, you know. Marriage problems are things like, you know, in the driveway, where am I going to park my car and where are you going to park your car? Marriage problems are, are, you know, which closet is mine and which closet is yours. Where do, which drawers are mine and which drawers are... Those are marriage problems. The, the marriage problems that we usually deal with in ministry and with counseling are not really marriage problems as much as they are individual problems that people brought into their marriage. And the best thing that you can do as a single before you're married is to minimize the baggage that you're going to bring into that marriage. Let me give you a few ways you can minimize the baggage. And and again, parents, uh, these are things that you want to try to help and encourage your children to do that are, are of dating age. The first thing you can do to minimize the baggage is you minimize the baggage by guarding your purity. You minimize the baggage by guarding your purity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul talks about a specific sin. Notice what he says. He says, Meat for the belly and belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now notice this. Now the body... Notice what he says. Now the body is not for fornication. The word fornication means a physical or sexual relationship before marriage. He says the body is not for fornication. Young people, your body was not created... To be engaged in a physical relationship outside of marriage. God did not ordain that. But for the Lord. You say, my body was for who? For God. God gave you your body to serve and worship Him through that. He says, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Do you see that? And the Lord for the body. Look at verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up by his own power. Uh, verse 15. Know ye not? Now notice this, verse 15, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? And what he's talking about is the fact that our individual bodies make up the body of Christ. We this I, I often tell people this building is not the church. These walls and this roof and and, and the carpet church. The church is made up of you, of individual believers coming together. The Bible says that our individual bodies are the body parts or the members that make up a body. And he says, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. He says, don't you know that you are part of the body of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? The word harlot means a whore. Now notice what he says. He says, God forbid. Verse 16. What? Know ye not that he which joined, that he which is joined to an harlot is, notice this, one body. For two saith he shall be made one flesh. Now, for those of you that know him, we're gonna look at it here in a second, he's using uh, marriage terminology, becoming one flesh, coming together and becoming one body. And what he's saying is this these acts should be done in the bounds of marriage. The physical relationship, the coming together, the becoming one flesh, is something that should be done in the bounds. And it's something that God created to be uh, enjoyed in the bounds of marriage. But He says, when you are not married, He said, your body was not created for fornication, it was created for the Lord. Your focus ought to be on God. And we'll, we'll see that in a second. Notice verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Verse 18, notice what He says. Flee fornication. The word "flee" means run away from. He says, "Flee fornication." Now you say, "Well, well, why would I flee fornication?" Because today, today, and I know what I'm preaching this morning is not popular. I know what I'm preaching this morning is not accepted. Today, people say, "Oh, well, kids are going to do what they're going to do." Well, and, and and parents that don't have a brain in their head have this idea. Well, I'd rather they do it in my house. When the Bible says, now notice, notice what it says, First Corinthians 6, 18. flee. is without or outside the body. Here's what he's saying. Every sin that you do, all the dumb things that you kids are going to do, that you know you shouldn't do, are outside or without the body. But, but, notice, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I want you to understand something. Sexual sin is unlike any other sin. The sin of your physical body is not like... You say, well, well, it's just like any other sin. It's like smoking, or drinking, or cursing, or disobeying my brain. No, no, no. All of those sins are outside the body. Even the ones that affect your physical body. He says they don't affect you, your being, who you are. They are without the body. But, he that committed fornication, sin is against his body. And here's what you got to understand. The sin of fornication is unlike any other sin. Do you know that nobody comes to me as a pastor... And 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 says, Pastor, I need some counseling because you know when I was young, I told a lie. You know, nobody needs counseling for lies they told when they were a kid or a teenager. You know, nobody needs counseling for steal. You know, something they stole as a kid. You know, nobody needs counseling for you know one time I uh, you know did something I wasn't supposed to do. But you know who people do get counseling even well into their married lives is people that had sexual sin. Because it's unlike any other thing. It's not something that you just kind of, you know, that's eh, something I did and it's done with. It's something that lingers with you. It's something that affects you. By the way, that's why those that have been sexually abused... That's why those that have been sexually abused, it's so hard for them to overcome. Now, not, not, not all, there are many that are able to overcome that and, and live, and live a, a productive life and, and, and get victory over that. But so many are never really able to recover from that. Why? Because that sin is not like any other sin. It's not just like, I lied to my parents. It's a sin that affects who you are. Your soul. The worth of, of who you think you are. Fornication is a sin that is unlike any other sin. It'll mess with you, and it'll linger with you, unlike any other sin. Now notice what the Bible says, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And by the, and by the way, if I were you I'd keep my finger, or my bulletin, or something, in the book of 1 Corinthians, because most of the passages we'll look at will be in 1 Corinthians. Young people, do you, do you, know, that, you know that nobody goes into a marriage? No one that keeps himself pure... Till the day that they're married. And I'm not just talking to girls, men, young men. It is your job to make sure you walk down that aisle and you are pure and you are a virgin. It is your job to do that as well. Not just girls. But do you know that there is no one who goes into a marriage and says, you know, once they've been married for five or six years, you know that there's no one who says, man, you know what? I I wish, I wish I would not have set myself here. I I just wish I would have, you know, been sleazy and slept around with as many people as possible before I got married. I just, I regret, I regret just, you know, keeping myself here before God. You know that nobody says that? But you know that tons and tons and tons of marriages have trouble because of the sins of the spouse's past that linger on even after marriage? It's not like any other sin. It's not just like, oh, something I did and no big deal. Now the Bible tells us, First Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 1. If you cannot keep from fornicating, there is one solution, get married. Now concerning the things where you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I believe that. You say, do you think it's okay for uh, young people that are not married to be holding hands and petting each other and kissing? Uh, the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So, I'm well, a little strict, hey, that's what the Bible says. Nevertheless, notice verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. He says, look, if you cannot contain, if you can't keep yourself from the sin of fornication, then get married. Verse 8. Verse eight. Skip down to verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. He says, look, if you're not married, if you're a widow, hey, it's good for you to abide even as I, because Paul was not a married man. But notice verse 9. But if they cannot contain... But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. He says, look, if you cannot keep yourself from sinning, then get married. And I, and I tell people all the time, you know, you get this idea. Well, we're going to be engaged for the next three and a half years, you know. and But we're going to be living together and fornicating. Look, if, if you cannot contain, if you can't wait, then just go down to the courthouse and get married. It's better to marry than to burn. Now, let, let me go ahead and deal with something because we're, we're dealing with something kind of deep here. Or uh, go, go to First Corinthians chapter 5. Let me deal with this and then we'll kind of move on to something a little more positive. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But while we're on the subject of fornication, we have to cover it. If you are a Christian... And listen to me very carefully, because what I'm about to say, most Christians don't even know this is in the Bible, and those that do know it, ignore it, but it's the Word of God, it's what the Bible says. You are at Verity Baptist Church, the word Verity means truth. We are more concerned with truth than with helping you feel better. You say, are you, are you against church growth? I'm all for church growth, but not at the expense of truth. And if truth makes people leave and not come back and say, I'd rather have truth than you. First Corinthians chapter five. Because you know what? Truth will never fill me. You won't. First Corinthians chapter five, look at verse one. Say, so Pastor, this is kind of deep. It's not Pastor Sunday anymore. <laughs> first Corinthians chapter five, look at verse one. It is reported commonly notice first Corinthians chapter five, verse one. It is reported commonly that there is Fornication among you. Now, the Apostle Paul is dealing with an issue at the church at Corinth because he's hearing these things that they are allowing people to live in fornication within within the church. He says it is reportedly commonly it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Verse two. Are are and ye are puffed up, and I've not rather mourned. That he that had done this deed, now notice this, and, and you know, if you don't mind writing your Bible, maybe underline this phrase in your Bible, that he that had done this deed, what deed? The deed of fornication, might be taken away from among you. The Bible teaches that people, Christians who are actively in the sin of fornication, are to be kicked out of church. That they might be taken away from among you. You say, well, I can't believe you were I thought anybody and everybody was walking. The Bible says that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among. you. Notice verse 3. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present. Notice, concerning him that hath done this deed. What deed? He said, it is reported commonly among you that there is fornication among you. He said, I've already judged concerning him that hath done this deed. Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's quite a prayer request. You understand what the Apostle Paul just prayed? He said, you know, I love that young man that's living in that sin of fornication and I understand how grievous the sin of fornication is and how it's going to destroy his future and it could affect his future marriage. And he said, I I know how serious it is that I'm actually praying that he would be delivered to Satan and that Satan would destroy his flesh that his spirit may be saved. That's quite a request. Imagine your parents making that request for your children that have gone astray. Look at verse 6. Your glory is not good. Uh, we! Uh, I go to this church and they just accept everyone no matter what they do. Now look, we, we ought to be loving and caring and we ought not, you know, people ought to be accepted here but the Bible says there are certain sins that will get you kicked out of church. And people say, well, and we just let people live in fornication and be drunkards and be adulterers and we just bring them into our church. I say to those churches the same thing that the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven, leaven the a whole lot? He's say, look, uh, the, the word leaven is representing sin. He says, a little, you allow a little sin into the church and it'll spread. You allow one couple to just live in fornication and be, you know, open about it, and eventually you're going to have everybody in that sin. And by the way, it is more important for us to guard our children. I would rather lose a couple that is living in fornication and doesn't want to get right with God. I would rather they leave than have my children Christianity. I'd rather raise children who say hey that is a sin and that is wicked and that is wrong and it's not acceptable. I'd rather do that to my children and teach that to my children and your children than to have you here with your presence while in sin. I don't think you should say that. Well look I can can find you 50 other churches in Sacramento that will not say that. Wait verse seven. Purge. The word purge means get rid of. Purge out therefore the old leaven, the sin, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sanctified for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, now notice what he says, verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. The word company means to socialize with. He said, I told you, not to socialize with people living in fornication. He says, don't be around people, he said, the sin of fornication, we already said it, the sin of fornication is not like any other sin. He said, I've told you not to company with fornicators, verse 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. Now, now he begins to explain what he's saying. Notice what he's saying: Not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or the covetous, or extortioners, or, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Here's what he's saying. If they are worldly, or if they are of this world, he, here's what he's saying. I'm not talking about unbelievers. He said, look, if I told you not to company with unbelievers or not to socialize or not to talk to unbelievers that are living in fornication, you would have to come out of this world because they're all in that. They don't know any better. Now, he's not saying, he said, I'm not talking about unbelievers because he said, we we understand that we need to reach the unbeliever and we need to have compassion on the unbeliever. They don't know, they need help, their marriages are falling apart and they don't understand why. They have issues and they don't understand why they have these issues, it is our job to love them and pray for them and care for them and reach them. He, said, he says, uh, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, for then, he goes on to say, must you need to go out of this world. Now notice verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company, he says, not to socialize with, if any man that is called a brother. Do you see that? Now here's where he explains to us, I'm not even talking about a new believer. Look, a brand new Christian walks through the door. They just got saved yesterday. They're living in fornication. We're going to love them. We're going to care for them. We're not going to be rude to them or mean to them. And, and you ought not. And you ought not have a pharisaical attitude where you think you're better. Look, you got baggage too. We're not talking about a new believer. But when a person gets to the point where they're called brother... Where people know you as a Christian and say, Hey, brother so-and-so. Hey, sister so-and-so. Where you have that testimony of you're a Christian, you walk with God. You didn't get saved last week. He said, when you get to the point where you ought to know better. Notice what he says, verse 11. But now I run unto you, not to give company. If any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator. If any man that is called a brother, someone who should know better, someone who, we're not talking about a new believer, we're not talking about someone who has a testimony of being a Christian, someone who should know better, be a fornicator, or a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. By the way, all of those sins should get you kicked out of church. With such and one know not to eat. You know that you shouldn't even go out to eat with someone who's living in fornication? That's a Christian you got to purge out that leaven. Why? Verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore, notice what he says. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. He says, put away from among themselves. He says, get them out of there. He says, kick them out. Do you know that as a church, we are to go to believers. People that have been doing this for a while. They know what's... They've sat through the sermons... They sat through the sermons on fornication. They have heard it. They understood it. And they say, eh, I don't care. Pastor's just, you know, he's just kind of old-fashioned. He's just kind of a zealot. He's just got... You know, those people, Pastor Jimenez, does go to and has gone to and says, so Hey, listen, uh, you've been here long enough. You know what's expected of you. You either need to get out of the sin of fornication or you need to get out of the church. And some get right and some leave. And that's okay. Because a little leaven, leaveneth the whole life. Now, we have compassion. Now, we, we give people time to grow and give people time to understand. But there comes a time when you've been doing this long enough where you need to either get right or get out. That's what the Bible says. So back to your singles. How do you minimize the baggage going into marriage? The first thing you got to do is maintain your purity. And if you've already messed up, say, so Pastor, I've already gone further than I should have. Just ask God to forgive you now, and from now on, live a pure life. And say, from now on, and those of you that have not gone there, say, I may make a commitment today, I will walk down that aisle pure. Young ladies, make a commitment that when you put that white dress on, it will actually mean something. Not just what well, everybody else does, It because if we were truthful, some of you ladies wouldn't have worn a white dress down the aisle, it would have been, you know, gray, a few holes in it. Make that commitment. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, if you choose to be pure, you will minimize the baggage that you bring into your marriage. Here's another way you can minimize the baggage. Let's change, uh, you know, subjects. You're there in 1 Corinthians, go to Romans chapter 13. I just have to give that to you. Say, Pastor, why did you have to give that to me? Because here's the thing, you're not coming back anyway, so might as well unload the whole thing. (laughs) Might as well give it to you while you're here, you know what I mean? Romans chapter 13, look at verse 8. You minimize the baggage by avoiding, by maintaining your purity, but you minimize the baggage by avoiding becoming a financial burden. Listen to me, single people. Minimize your baggage by not becoming a financial burden. Are you there in Romans chapter 13? Look at verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, 8 says, no man, Owe no man anything. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Say, what, what should I owe people? Should I owe them on my credit cards, and my line of credit, and my car, and a few payday loans that I have out? No, no, no. Here's, owe no man anything. Let me give you some advice for those of you that are singer. Get out of debt and stay out of debt. It'll help your marriage get out of debt and stay out of debt it'll help your marriage most marriages in America today end because of financial pressure and if before you're married you minimize that baggage by avoiding becoming a financial burden you will carry less baggage into your marriage go to Proverbs 22 Proverbs 22 if you open up your Bible just right in the center you'll more than likely in the book of Psalms the very next book is the book of Proverbs Proverbs 22 look at verse 7 Debt is dumb. You got to write that down. Debt is dumb. You, You pay three times what the... Whatever you're purchasing is worth because you didn't have the character to save the money to pay cash for it. And it's bad enough when it's a car or an object. Some of you are paying three times and four times what you ought to be paying on a meal that you ate and already went into the restroom. Debt is dumb. It's not smart. Get out of debt. Stay out of debt. It'll help your future marriage. And by the way, those of you that are married, married it'll help your marriage. Now, it'll take some discipline. To get, out of, you know, to get out of debt, you're not necessarily going to uh, have the nicest clothes and the nice car. That, but listen to me. I'd rather get a suit once a year when the trip buys it for me. <laughs> I'd rather drive a car that is 10 years old I'd rather be, you know, maybe my wife doesn't get all the manicures and pedicures. And maybe we don't have all the fancy gadgets that you have. But you know what we have that you don't have? Money in the bank. I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just telling you. When you live that free, you have freedom to serve God. You have freedom. You know how much my wife and I argue about money? No. Say, because you have a lot of money? No, we don't have a lot of money. But we don't owe anybody anything. So nobody's hounding us. Nobody's stressing us. I'm not talking about your house. You, you know, we live in California. You need to mortgage a house. I understand that. But other than your house, you got to try to live that free. Are you there in Proverbs 22? Look at verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7. Proverbs 22, 7. Before you get mad, singles, listen to me. This will help your marriage. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is servant to the lender. When you get yourself in debt, you know what you become? A servant to the per- You know who you, who you work for? The guy that you owe. That's why I got, the Bible says, owe no man anything but to love one another. The rich rule is over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Go to Psalm 37, right before the book of Proverbs. You got Psalm 37. We'll, we'll do this quickly. Psalm 37. The financial part is not going as... I thought it would go better than the physical part, but I guess not. Psalm 37, look at verse 21. You're really not going to like point number three. I'm just kidding. Psalm 37, look at verse 21. Psalm 37, are you there? You're there in Proverbs 22? Right before Proverbs 22? You got Psalm 37, verse 21. Look way what the Bible says. Some of you got to memorize this verse. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth." The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Now listen to me. You say, "Well, Pastor, I, I'm not a single, but I'm in all this debt, and I didn't know the Bible said this." And look, I understand there are times when you are not going to pay some bills because you need to feed your family, you need to get the lights on, and you got to prioritize those things. But you ought to have every plan when you borrow money. You got to have every plan to pay that back. Don't wake it borrowed, pay it not again. Now, look, you may not get to eat out as much as you do. You may not get to buy clothes as much as you do. You may not get to do all the things that you're doing that got you in debt. The Bible says the wicked pay pays not again. But you singles and you kids, you young kids, you're sex, you're you're 15, you're 16, you're 17 years old. You're just almost at that age where you're going to get ready to kind of start dating and, and and doing all those things. Please, 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 do me a favor. When you get into college and they start sending you those envelopes and offering you those credit cards, throw them in the trash. And anyone who tells you you need that credit card, ask them. Just ask them. How much that are you? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will minimize your baggage by not becoming a financial burden. Let me use some great advice to help you with both things, fornication and finances. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Here's some great advice the Bible gives us to help young people with two things, fornication and finances. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In Genesis 2, 24, we're told the story of when God brought the first single couple the first singles together in, in marriage notice what he says genesis 2:24 he said this about marriage it didn't really apply to adam and eve but he said this about marriage for 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 the rest of us genesis 2:24 therefore shall a man leave his Father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The Bible says that you're going to leave father and mother, and you will cleave unto your wife. And by the way, that's good advice for those of you that are married. Quit letting your in-laws interfere with the decisions of your marriage. You leave mom and dad. You cleave. You leave, you cleave. Alright? But notice what he says. Therefore shall a man leave his roommate. Is that what it says? Therefore shall a man leave his college dorm room. Is that what it says? Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And I'm telling you, singles, if you lived with your parents till the day of your marriage, it would help you to not fall into the sin of fornication and it would help you with your finances. Now look, I understand that not everybody, is not possible for everybody. I get that. Some of you have parents, they kicked you out when you were 16. I get that. Okay, this isn't good for everyone. But try to live with a family member or whatever. But for those of you, especially you parents that are raising kids, endeavor in your heart to have a relation with your parents, that, with your children, that when they're 18 years old, that, you don't just kick them out. That you allow them to live with you so they can get financially ahead, and so that they can maintain purity in their marriage, you know, before they get married. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay, let's get off of that. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you go towards the end of the Bible, the last book is the book of Revelation. Right before Revelation, you got Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, 1st, 2nd, Peter, and then Hebrews. Okay, so at the end of the Bible, you got Revelation. If you go from the back, you got Jude, which is one chapter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st, 2nd, and uh, Peter, James, and then you got the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm helping you with this idea of minimizing the baggage that you bring into a marriage. minimize the baggage that you bring into marriage how by maintaining purity how by not becoming a financial burden how you minimize the baggage by getting victory over besetting sin let me say that again you minimize the baggage by getting victory over besetting sin Hebrews 12:1 says this wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside notice what he says let us lay aside every weight and notice this. And the sin which does so easily beset us. And the analogy is this. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Bible calls the Christian life a race that we run. But he says there are weights, and there is a sin which does so easily beset us. You have a sin that may... You may have a sin that trips you up regularly. Basically what are we talking about? We're talking about things like addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography. Some of you shopping. <laughs> You have addictions, and it would be wise of you, single people, to deal with those issues before you got married. To overcome your drunkenness, and overcome your drug abuse, and overcome your pornography use, and overcome your financial issues and the addictions that you have. It would be wise of you to overcome those sins before you got married, than to drag that baggage into a marriage. We We have marriage problems. No, you don't really have marriage problems. What you had is single problems that you brought into a marriage. And if you would have dealt with those problems before you got married, you would have brought less baggage into the marriage. So number one, we talked about minimizing the baggage. Singles work at minimizing the baggage. How do you do that? Maintain personal purity. How do you do that? Do not become a financial burden. How do you do that? Get victory over besetting sin. Number two, not only should you prepare for marriage by minimizing the baggage, but you should prepare for marriage by becoming a great catch. <laughs> Let's get it a little positive, okay? Is the positive thing is going to last just a little bit. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Remember I told you to keep your place in 1 Corinthians? I'm just kidding. Here, here comes some positive things. 1 Corinthians 13. You ought to work at becoming a great catch. You know what I mean by that? Uh, isn't that the phrase that the girls use? Oh, he was such a great catch. She was such a great catch, Right? You ought to become a great cat. You ought to work at becoming a great cat. Now, in First Corinthians 13, this is known as the love chapter. Now, in our King James Bible, the word love never appears once in the chapter. The word is charity. And uh, let me just say this. Uh, charity in this passage is, is also translated love in other passages in our King James Bible. It is the same word as translated love in other passages. The reason that the translators chose to use the word charity instead of love is because in this passage, it, uh, it shows love not as a feeling, but as an action. It shows love in action, or love at work. So therefore, they chose the word charity, because charity, the, the, you know, we think of charity like you give to the homeless or something, but the word charity means you're acting upon your love. You're doing something. That's why the King James translators chose the word charity. Now look at First Corinthians 13, look at verse 4. He's teaching us how to, how you should love how your love should perform the actions of love, or show that love. First 1 Corinthians 13.4 Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not popped up. Skip down to verse 7. Look what he said. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. There are four things in this passage that the Apostle Paul teaches us to develop in our development of love. And those of you that are single, and by the way, those of you that are married, this will work for you too. Those of you that are single, if you want to become that great catch... If you want to be that future husband or that future wife that your spouse tests to her friends and to her family, I can't believe I got him. He's so great. You want to become, you'd be wise at developing these qualities. There's four qualities he gives us that you got to develop. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, one, Corinthians 13 and 4. You see how it says charity suffereth long? Charity suffereth long. You've got to develop patience. Develop patience. Nothing will help your marriage more than being patient. You go from everything's about you to now everything's about you and someone else. And sometimes we become impatient. And he says, "Charity suffereth long." The word "suffereth" means sometimes it's not easy. But if you would develop patience, you would become that great catch that the person you are looking for is looking for. Not only does he say develop patience in charity suffereth long. Look at verse four. And is kind. He Says charity suffereth long and is kind. Develop a kind spirit. Today, we live in a society where people think it's so cool to be crude and rude and mean. And everything that comes into their mouth has to come out, uh, into their brain comes to, has to come out of their mouth. And they hurt people's feelings and they say things that are hurtful and they say things that are not kind. And you got to develop a kind spirit. Charity suffers long and is kind. Not only that, develop a non quitting or non giving up attitude. Notice what he says in verse 7. Beareth all things. And then this phrase means the same thing. He goes on in the same verse to say, Endureth all things. Hey, you, you want to la- last long in your marriage? Develop a non-quitting attitude. Learn to bear all things, endure all things. And the, 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 the key words in that those phrases are this, All things. Well, he did this. Learn to bear all things, including those things. Well, she did this. Learn to endure all things, including those things. Charity beareth all things. Endureth all things. Develop a non-quitting or non-giving up attitude. Hey, the only way you can last in marriage is to endure all things and bear all things. From time to time. With patience. With kindness. Not only that, develop a positive attitude. Look at verse 7. believeth all things. Hope is all things. Hey, develop a positive attitude. Well, you think the best of your spouse. You think the best of people. You, you, you're just going to go ahead and, and, and when, when they are in sin and you have to deal with it, we understand that there are things that need to be dealt with. But don't just have this attitude of, well, I just always see the, the glass half empty. Why don't you see it half full and believe all things and hope all things? Have a positive attitude. You start walking around with a positive attitude, people are going to be attracted to you. You're going to become that great catch. He gives us four things that we ought to develop. What were they? Patience kind spirit, a non-quitting attitude, a positive attitude. But he also gives us seven things to eliminate. Notice what he says. Look at verse 4. Let's do it quickly, because we've got to get off all this nice stuff. First Corinthians 13, look at verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Notice, he, begins to tell us, he also tells us things not to do. Envieth not, charity bounteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniqu- iniquity, but rejoices in truth. What are you saying? Here's what he's saying. You single people, you ought to work at developing not only certain things like patience and kindness and a positive attitude and a non-quitting attitude, but you also ought to determine to eliminate certain things from your character. What are they? Number one, eliminate envy. Notice verse four. Charity envieth not. The word envy means wanting the advantages or successes or possessions of another due to your own discontent. It's okay to be happy for other people's success. And what you don't want in a marriage is where the husband is upset at the wife because she seems to be succeeding in certain things in life or the wife is upset at the husband because he seems to be succeeding. What you don't want is that envious attitude. You are to work together, not in spite of each other. So eliminate envy. Eliminate pride. Look at verse 4. Charity bounteth not itself. It is not puffed up. The word bond means to boast or brag. To need attention. Or to need to be seen. not it, It's not the ability to do good actions anonymously. We used to have a, a, a lady that came to the church. She doesn't come anymore. We used to have a lady at the church that would always want to do things. But she, she didn't have a serving spirit. Like she just wanted to help. She always wanted to do things as long as she got the recognition thing. She was vaunting. She was puffed up. The word puffed up means to be arrogant, self-focused, or the need to make yourself look good. Eliminate that from you. From your attitude. That this need to always look good, to always, always look better. To put people down so you can look... You know, you, 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 you maximize other people's faults to make yourself look good. By the way, that happens within the church life have this attitude where you have to make people look bad, or or look, you know, you have to give, you have to, you know, tell someone where they failed so that you can, you know, highlight your, you know, your successes. Eliminate pride. That's pride. Not only that, eliminate a rude attitude. We already talked about this, but he said it again, First Corinthians thirteen five. Does not behave itself unseemly. The word unseemly means not in keeping with established standards of taste or proper form. Unbecoming in speech or conduct. To be rude. The opposite of kindness. Eliminate that. Learn kindness. Eliminate rudeness. Number four. Eliminate self-centeredness. Look at verse five. Seeketh not her own. Charity, love and action, seeketh not her own. That, that seeketh not her own is talking about self-centeredness. Only thinking of yourself, not considerate of others. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 13. Go go to Romans chapter 12. We were just in Romans, but go to Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans 12 also. Let me just show it to you quickly. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Hey, you want to be that great catch? Eliminate these things from your life. Develop these other qualities. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Romans 12 10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Notice this, underline this, In honor preferring one another. See, charity seeketh not her own. It's not all about him or all about her. But in honor they prefer one another. In Philippians 2, three, you don't have to turn to let me just read it for you. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Let nothing be done to do strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. This attitude of, it's not about me. It's not seeking my own. It's not that I get pleased or that I win. But I want to serve you and help you and be here for you. I'm telling you, if you develop that you will become that great catch. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. You go on that date. You go on that date, and it's all about you. And it's all about the things you've done. And you're the only one talking. Look, it's not a conversation if you're the only one talking. <laughs> Eliminate self-centeredness. Seek it not your own. Eliminate a quick temper. Go back to First Corinthians 13. Look at verse five. First Corinthians 13. Look at verse five. Eliminate a quick temper. Is not easily provoked. You see that? First Corinthians thirteen five. Is not easily provoked. A quick temper is being made easily upset or mad, having a short fuse. Eliminate that. Eliminate that from your life. Eliminate a critical spirit. Look at verse five. Thinketh no evil. Charity thinketh no evil. Being critical is inclined to find fault or to judge with severity, often too readily. Occupied with or skilled in criticism. You're always looking at the bad things in people. Eliminate that critical spirit. Don't think evil of people. Cherry think of no evil. Well, so and so, you know, they did this. Oh, I didn't know this. I didn't think they were doing that. I thought that was just a coincidence. Well, they, uh, you know, slashed your tire. I thought they did that by mistake. I don't know. You know, just have that attitude. Just think the best of people. I'm just kidding. Look at verse 6. Rejoice is not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Eliminate dishonesty. Rejoice in not in iniquity, which is sin. And here's the here's the opposite of that, but rejoice in the truth. That's someone who wants to sin and be deceiving about it. Eliminate dishonesty. That's the lack of honesty or integrity. Singles, I'm trying to help you out. The way you minimize bringing issues... The way you become the person who the person you're looking for is looking for, is by number one, minimizing the baggage you bring into a marriage. And number two, working on yourself, developing yourself to become that great cash. Now listen to me. Those of you that are married, you can work on these things too. And they would help your marriage too. But it would be easier. See, see those of you that are single, it would be easier for you to display these characteristics in every relationship you have before you're married, with every friend that you have, with your parents, with your siblings, with every, your co-workers, if you were not self-centered, if you esteemed others, if you were kind, if you were compassionate, if you loved people, if you practice these things in every area of your life, before you're married, you come into a marriage and she's going to say, wow, I love that. Or wow, she's awesome. We said number one, minimize the baggage. Number two, become a great catch. Number three, this is the last point. Number three, focus on the spiritual. Focus on the spiritual. Go uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. When you are single, you have a, a great opportunity to focus on your relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 32, the Apostle Paul said this, But I would have you without carefulness. Now notice what he says, okay? He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord. See, if you could complain about, I'm not married, I'm not married, and realize, I have a great opportunity right now to be able to please the Lord and focus on the Lord. See, you got to understand this. When you are married, you also have to work on your relationship with God. But you know what? When you're married, you not only have to work on your relationship with God, you also have to work on your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with your kids. But when you're single, you just worry about you and God. That would be a sweet time in your life. Look at verse 33. 1 Corinthians 7.33 But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world. He that is married careth for the things that are of the world. When I got married, all of a sudden, I had to care about paying a PG&E bill and a smut bill and getting groceries and putting gas in a van. I had to care about the things of the world. Why? Because I got married. How he may please his wife. And by the way, your husbands, you ought to have that desire to please your wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares. Carith- for the things of the Lord. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord. That she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married, careth for the things of the world. How she may please her husband. Do you see that? When you are married, you have to work on your relationship with God. While working on your relationship with your spouse. When you're single, you get to focus on God. So, take the advantage of this time to focus on God without any distractions. Look at verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely and, underline this, underline this phrase, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. See, when you're married, you don't have those distractions. You know, we have. I I thank God for the married couples in our church, and we have married people here that are faithful. They have their kids with them Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Soul winning. They tie. They they do everything they're supposed to do. But let me tell you something, you single people. There ought to be no one more faithful to the services of this church, to the ministries of this church, to the events of this church. There ought to be no one more faithful to the house of God than you, because it's just you. You think you want to get out of the house and be around people? Take this opportunity to serve the Lord without distraction. Let me give you one more thing in regards to focusing on the spiritual. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you hear nothing in the marriage, please just listen listen to this. This this point that I'm going to make right now, for those of you who are single, it was worth everything else. If you forget everything else, you didn't listen to everything else, you've been asleep the whole time I've been preaching, just wake up right now and just listen to this. If you listen to this one thing, it will revolutionize your life. Thank you, Corinthians six fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. When you begin today, when you begin today, they people that are also focused on God That's why I liked our quote in the bulletin. When you begin today, they people that are also focused on God. Don't marry an unbeliever. And by the way, don't marry a believer that is vacillating or lazy or not right with God. Find someone. Run to God as fast as possible and someone running in the same direction. Marry that person. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But she's so pretty and he's so this. And look, listen to me. One day, they're not going to be that pretty. And you're not going to be that stud. But you're going to have kids. And you're going to want to raise them under the admonishing of God. And they're not going to be that interested in the things of God. It would help your marriage to not marry an unbeliever. And it would help your marriage to not marry... Listen to me listen to me carefully. If, if the person you're marrying is only interested in God because you're interested in God, run screaming and yelling in the other direction. Oh, uh, she's, she says she loves God. He says he loves God. But they only come to church when you come to church, or they only read the Bible when you bring it up. Hey, listen to me. As soon as you get married, that... you When we're dating, we put our best picture up. You you dress nice as you act nice. the way you work out. Then you get married and it's like, I'm at it. If they're dating, spiritual life is not that great. You think their married, spiritual life is going to be that great? That's why I tell people. If you don't have a job before you're married, I know I'm not going to get a job after you're married. Singles, I'm trying to help you. Number one, minimize the baggage. Number two, become a great catch. Number three, focus on the spiritual. Serve God without distractions. Don't get unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let me explain something to you. And we're done. This is the conclusion. Commitment with no preparation will fail. Commitment with no preparation will fail. There are couples all over this country, standing before altars, before men of God, making vows and promises. And listen to me, they are saying that I will love you till death do us part, for better or worse. And I do not think that most of those people are lying. I think most of those people are telling the truth. I think they really do want to stay married till death do us part. And they really do want to love you through better or worse. But those people, we're told 50 to 60% of them are getting a divorce. And the reason is this. Commitment with no preparation always fails. I can come to you this morning and I can put on my nicest suit, which I'm actually wearing. And I can say, I'm going to make a vow between before God and men. I can sign a contract. I can make a vow. I can bring an the notary uh, public. I can have them you know, witness my signature. And I can promise you that tomorrow I'm going to run a marathon. And I promise you that I will not give that commitment. Hey, why? Because I can be committed. But uh, here's the problem. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. You understand know what I'm saying? There are couples that are very committed to their marriage. But they are not prepared for their marriage. And I can get committed all I want. And I can tell you, I'm going to run that marathon. I'm going to run that marathon. I love that marathon. I'm not, it's all about that marathon. And about three minutes into that marathon, I'm probably going to pass out. <laughs> because I haven't ran since I got out of the Air Force. And I'm not ready. I am not prepared to keep that commitment. There are many one-meaning couples making vows and promises that are not prepared to keep them. But listen to me. Commitment with preparation always succeeds. Next week we're going to be talking to the children. you got to bring all your kids. You've got to make sure they're here. You've got to make sure they're well-fed and ready to listen. But let me just say this to the singles. Prepare for marriage. While you're single, prepare for marriage so How do I do that? Minimize the baggage. How do I do that? Become a great guy. How do I do that? Focus on the spiritual. Here's the question. And here's a question. Are you becoming? Are you becoming? The person who, the person you are looking for is looking for. You ought to be working on that. Best advice I could give. Father, yes. Father, thank you for our church. And Lord, thank you for a church that doesn't mince words. Thank you for a church that doesn't go with the flow. Thank you for a church that preaches the truth. And I know people saying, Well, that nah, that made me feel bad, but Lord, if we could help if we could help one single individual make right decisions, it'd be worth it all. Father, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd be with every single person in this room. Those that are updating age and those that will soon be updating age, that they would go into that phase of their lives with purpose. That they would not make a lot of mistakes that they'll regret in the future. Lord, I pray that you would give our parents in this church wisdom to guide their children through the dating. To not just let them do whatever they want, but but to be there to guide them, to help them, to not make the mistakes that many uh, of us have made. Father, I pray that you'd use this sermon in the lives of our church people. In your precious name I pray. Amen.